MaxScholarsPublishing.com That uh, we should get our own. Once we have our own, uh, we're respected for the fact that we can create our own. And uh, that's equality right there. Start a record label, Miss Fish just did it. Nylon, cover five minutes. Whoa, we are too hot in the business. About to make a movie independent. Need new So what's up? We're here. Um I know. Yes, welcome to the Black Scholars Podcast. Uh it's an honor and a privilege to be able to connect with another educator, especially uh one that's in the same, I like to say, uh industry as far as like teaching English. You know, it's a different different ball game teaching English than other subjects. Um, you know, in math, you know, you have a particular right answer. Uh, in English is not necessarily a right answer. It's what does the evidence say, you know, exactly. and um, especially when you get to writing uh, or the art of debating, you know, those speaking and listening standards. It's not one right answer. Right. Um, right. It's all about can you back it up? How can you support it? And does it make logical sense? So exactly. And I yeah. think that's where kids falter because um, for so long they've always been taught in almost every other subject that there is a right answer. And now when they come to us, okay, how do you know that? How do you know that? And then they look at us like deer and headlight. Right. What do you mean? How do I know? I just know. No, baby. Show me. Show me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Back it up. Um, even grammatically, you know, you think of grammar, you know, grammar Nazis or grammar police. And mm-hmm. with the with the new style guides that are out there between, you know, MLA, APA, um, the Associated Press, um, oh my just just journalism altogether. There's so many different ways to punctuate and to properly use grammar where no it wasn't okay 20 years ago but 10 years ago it became okay or no that's not in the dictionary wait how old is this dictionary oh this is 1980s versus now oh yep that word is actually in the dictionary so english is just you know english language arts is just one of those subjects where you know, there is no black and white. Sometimes you're literally living in the gray. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's challenging. Thing. <laughs> it's challenging. Um, but anywho, so go ahead, introduce yourself, Candace, to uh, the audience and let them know what you do, how long you've been doing it and how you got into education. Okay, well, good morning, everyone. My name is Candace Brown. Um, I am an English educator. Um, I've been doing this now. This is my 11th year in the classroom. Um, So 11 first days of school for me. Um, I have (laughs) only, (laughs) right. Um, So I've taught um, 8 through 12 English. Um, I've also taught um, African-American literature a couple times. I've done some creative writing a couple times. I've done etymology, um, mythology, um, I've seen the curriculum change, uh, almost every other year because I've been teaching a different subject almost every other year. Um, I got into education because when I graduated with my, um, bachelor's degree, I was actually pregnant with my son and, um, I was just trying to figure out, you know, what I was going to do with the rest of my life that would allow me to fully be there and raise my child. I did not want anyone to do that for me. I've seen how, you know, some people, their their kids are raised by their grandparents or their kids are raised by an aunt or this or that. And I did not want that. And I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with this English degree. So a little back history. I didn't start as an English major. 
I was actually a biology major um, when I went into undergrad. And I just knew that I was going to be a doctor. I knew I was going to be, you know, the best trauma physician there was. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And then that changed. I enjoyed my literature classes a little bit too much. And I dropped biology and um, went the English route. And, and that's kind of what I stuck with. So um, I was just trying to figure out what I was going to do with that. And it was kind of spoken into my life. You know, you should probably be a teacher. And I cussed. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I don't even <laughs> like kids. You know, like, who who are you to tell me that I'm going to be a teacher and I don't even like kids? And I And then I'm sitting up here six, seven months pregnant talking about I don't like kids. But anyway. Um, but I kind of prayed about it and I was like, all right, you know, if this is the path, I'll take it. And I I did not take it lightly because I'm thinking to myself, you know, I know how some of my teachers were, they, some of them were passionate about it. And then I had others that were kind of lackadaisical. Okay, just do this and and leave me alone. And I didn't want to be that person. So I I really had to sit down and meditate on it to try to figure out, okay, is this really what I'm going to do? And um, I got into the profession um, because I was highly qualified. So I didn't go the traditional route. I wasn't already in an education program. I wasn't a TFA. I wasn't a teaching fellow. I got into it because I was able to go through the the interview process and show what I knew based on what I had done as an English major, and they hired me. Um, So I was actually under a, um, like an alternative license. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because, um, like I said, English was my major. So the stipulation was that, okay, so you're highly qualified. You're going to be able to teach this subject because that is your background, but you have, you got to get in the TEP. All right. So where am I going to go to get this TEP? So I went back to my alma mater. I graduated from Christian brothers. Um, so I got my <laughs> bachelor's degree from there. Then I re-enrolled to get my MAT from there. And um, that's kind of how I navigated through. So I was literally thrown into it. I, I did not know what I was doing. I really didn't because I didn't have um, an educational background. All I knew was what my English teachers did. And that's kind of how I started with things. Okay, my English teachers did this. So this is what I'm going to do. And that didn't work. Mm-hmm. So the the further I got into my education program, the more I got to know my kids um, the better I was able to, um, I guess, mold myself into what they needed. It wasn't about me anymore. It's okay. Let me sit down, figure out what it is that they don't know and what they need because I, I came in. And I think, I think a lot of teachers come in with an assumption that their children are going to know certain things. And I was one of those people because my first year teaching, I taught 10th grade and I was thinking to myself, well, I was able to do this, this, and this in 10th grade. They should be too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Open mouth, insert foot. So um, I just really had to, I had to really, um, I had to take myself out of it for a minute and be like, okay, let me see who they are, what they need. And then let me be the best version of myself for them. So that's kind of um, how I got into it. And and then I, every year I say I'm not going back, and every year I keep going back. So this is, you know, 11 times around, and and I keep coming back. I guess I'm a glutton for punishment, but, you know. Let's talk about it. it. Let's talk about it. So thank you for sharing that, and you dropped a lot of gems, a lot of jewels, and opened up a little bit more of this conversation here. And we, we, even, we haven't even gotten to the meat of really what I really want to talk to you about, so I enjoy this. <laughs> this is why I do this. I love this. So... First, shout out to Christian Brothers University. I'm actually going yes, through CBU. the actually going through the process right now to do the um, to get into the what is it the the fast track uh, ed leadership program. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm doing okay. that now because I I've got two masters already, so I don't need another master's degree. Um, yeah. But I do need my admin's license. So um, shout out to Christian Brothers for that. Um, yes. 
So nice to connect with a, a fellow CBU. Um, what what is Christian Brothers uh, mascot? What's the what are you guys? A buccaneer. Buccaneer. It's I look buccaneer. forward to becoming yes. a buccaneer. <laughs> so that's dope. Um, the other thing that you said that I thought was really interesting, and I was going to ask you this anyway, is how, you know, with you having an English background, but not having a teaching background, um, and, and how you first come into the classroom, you know, how did you actually establish your own teaching style? And you said, you know, you basically copied what your experience was as a student looking at what your teachers did. And when right. you tried that, it didn't work. Man, the term epic fail <laughs> comes so readily how, to mind. How did you know it wasn't working? Just, um, you know how, how people always say that, you know, they know a kid has it. They can see in their eyes that there's this aha moment. Okay. I didn't have a lot of those. I got you. And, and even though I didn't have a teaching background, I'd, I'd done a lot of, uh, peer tutoring. That's what my, my teachers would use me for as the, as like the resident peer tutor for a lot of things. I was, um. Even up until I think when I got to my senior year of high school, I was like a teacher's assistant um, instead of going into study hall. So I, I did a lot of that, but um, that's not enough. It's not a formal training. So, you know, that's kind of, that's why I modeled myself after after the best English teachers I knew. Um, so it, it just didn't work. And I didn't understand why it didn't work. And I think another thing that kind of threw me and I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm not too far removed from these kids age wise, because when I started, I was in early twenties. Okay. And, and these kids, like I said, they're, they're 15 years old or so 14, 15 years old, maybe 16. Um, because they're in 10th grade at that point. And I'm like, okay, so I'm not that much older than them. So why is it that I cannot connect to them? It didn't take me long though. Like after that first quarter, I was like, okay, let me revamp. So when we went out, I think it was for like a, a little fall break or whatever. We only had, a, I think it was like a three-day weekend at the time. We didn't have this glorious week for fall break that we have now. Um, I was like, okay, I need to figure something out. And um, I just started seeing them individually because I'm, I'm very visual when it comes to that. I started seeing them individually and I started picturing that, you know, where they sat and I started hearing the voices and hearing the questions that they would ask. And I was like, okay, this is what they need for me to answer. And then the types of questions, the way that they would ask them, I just started kind of modeling my voice to theirs. Okay. I don't know if that makes sense at all. It does. But, it does. For me, it does. Okay. But I, I just kind of, I took their lead. Right. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I, I literally let them lead me to where they wanted and needed to go. I tried to maintain as much control of it as I could, mm -hmm. because again, I didn't have a formal background. I didn't know about the classroom management strategies. I didn't know about the pedagogy. I didn't, I didn't even know where to find the damn curriculum. Okay. I didn't even know how to do that because, you know, I, I wasn't properly mentored either, but, um, just took it and ran, you know, and then I started doing a lot of um, project based things, uh, a lot of things that I incorporated some art and I've forgotten all about this until now. Um, I even did like some competition within the classroom, like the boys against the girls, because they were so competitive with everything else. And I just let them kind of guide me with that. And ever since then, even though, you know, I do have the background now, I got the, the MAT and all that stuff, and I do a lot of the reading and, you know, trying to keep up with the latest of whatever I can keep up with at the time, you know, I still let my kids guide me. Okay, how can I best do this? How can I best do that? I'm one of those teachers that if I make a mistake, you know, I can apologize and say, okay, well, let me try it this way, you know, and they always get so shocked. Like, we're not accustomed to 
grown people doing that? Well, I'm a different type of grown person because I know that this is still a learning process for me as well. And I guess that's kind of how I took it. Um, I looked at that first nine weeks. It was a learning process. I flipped it. And then I came back as a different teacher, so to speak. So I I didn't want to, you know, I give props to my old, um, my, my former English teachers. But, yeah, they were teaching a different type of child. You know, the students that I graduated with are not the same as the students that I taught my first year in the classroom. And I guess I had to really recognize that and press forward with it. Yeah. Yeah. And and I can totally uh, relate now. Um, I actually came in through the Memphis Teaching Fellows, uh, pretty much had an opportunity to go wherever I wanted to go in education um, and actually was supposed to be a counselor. I don't know if I've ever revealed this on this podcast before, but uh, I was supposed to go back to the University of Wisconsin for uh, to be a school counselor. Um, But for a lot of reasons, I didn't want to move back to Wisconsin, namely the weather. Just being honest, namely the weather. I didn't want to move. I'm not looking. And, I ain't even uh, gonna lie. I probably wouldn't do that either. <laughs> and and then staying down there, and it's uh, it's also a reason which dissuaded me from teaching because literally Chicago teaching fellows wanted me. Um, what was that DC teaching fellows wanted me? New Orleans, like I literally could go anywhere I wanted to. Phoenix um, or Arizona, whatever they call it. But I chose. Well, I chose Memphis for several reasons. But coming from a background, my first career was actually in banking. And just like you, you know, I was told, yo, you're doing really because I wasn't initially an English major. Um, I don't even remember what my first actually I think I was just undeclared. I was just taking classes and my advisor pulled me to the side one day and was like, yo, I'm seeing a pattern here. You're killing your English courses like you're doing so well on all your English courses. Your professors are bragging about you. My professor put me on the um, the the student newspaper at the University of Wisconsin Parkside in Kenosha. And like you could clearly see like I had a gift for uh, English. And so coming into the classroom without that formal training, because the teaching fellows, for those that don't know, and it's the same thing for Teach for America, you're given a summer. That's it. You get a summer. And yeah. so I had a second grade group at Grandwood Elementary. Shout out to Grandwood Elementary, one of the best elementary schools in the country, actually. Not even just Memphis, yeah. in the country. And um, I had a great mentor teacher. And anything she gave me as far as pedagogy, I used it. I studied it. I breathed it. Her words, her notes on my on my lessons, her observational notes... I used it almost like a Bible because I needed someone to mold the gift that I already had. Um, And and so I I was thankful for the program, but it's just the summer and it's not even the full summer. So when I first like what, like four weeks or six weeks, uh, like six weeks, well, maybe a little, yeah, about six, seven weeks. uh, If I can remember correctly. Um, But you know, so that first year teaching, like you said, like the classroom management, like, like it was a, it was really really important for me to you know take the feedback that I was getting you know through the observation system um, and I started out Memphis City Schools um, mm-hmm. and so it was it was so important anytime I got an observation like for me to study my craft like um, I don't even know if this was legal at the time but you know I had a personal computer set up just like kind of mm-hmm. in the corner and the, and the kids knew what was going on but I didn't get permission from parents or from administrators and I just had the thing recording on like all the time and I would like save it to a hard drive so it wouldn't you know mess up my computer or fill up my computer too quickly um, and then I would go back and I would watch myself interacting with kids I would watch me teaching I would watch me interacting with uh, my administrators I would watch my actual observations so when my principal came in and gave me an observation like I had that recorded um, and so I needed that to kind of mold me into um, the educator that I am today so I think that's fascinating that you know and let me just say this and this is going to be unpopular <laughs> I think especially for English I think it helps when you're not initially trained in education. That's an unpopular yeah. thing. And yeah, I, I can understand that too, because you have a perspective that 
nobody else does because it was mm-hmm. not your intended mm-hmm. place to be. So you can almost give help and assistance, you know, and you can anticipate some things as well because you you just think differently. Yeah. I can I can definitely understand that. You really just think differently. So even even being able to help help kids through writing and why it's important because I mean you hear it all the time. Oh, I hate reading. Oh, I can't stand books. Oh, I hate writing. This is so boring. Why do we always have to write? I can tell you relate. Something. I hear that even at home. <laughs> <laughs> My son says that all the time. But I can relate it to real opportunities out there. And as I get to know my kids, well, what do you want to be? Well, I want to be a nurse. Okay, you do realize that nurses have to go through a lot of a lot of schooling, right? Like a lot of education. You got to do a lot of reading. Those textbooks are not uh, easy to read. Those are technical sure. texts with a lot of jargon, academic jargon that, you know, that vocabulary that's at that next, next level that, you know, unless you have context clues, you won't be able to reach. You're telling me that nurses don't have to write? Don't they have to write reports? Don't they have to be able to communicate in writing with insurance companies and doctors and specialists and whatnot? I mean, even just to get the the degree and the certification and to be able to to practice as an actual nurse, you have to be Mm -hmm. able to read and write at a high level. So I don't care what the kids say. I'm connecting it to reading and writing. You're talking about your Mm -hmm. livelihood. You're talking about how you're going to be able to afford Netflix for the rest of your life. How you're going to be able to, and I point at their shoes, how you'll be able to buy Jordans for the rest of your life. Mom and dad are not going to buy you those for the rest of your life. You're going to have to buy them. How you going to buy them? You're going to need some money. How you going to get some money? What's going to be your career? You have to even McDonald's, shout out to McDonald's employees. They have to be able to read and write. They have to go through a training program. Yep. And if they want to take that next level, (laughs) they want to, you know, become a manager and eventually own the McDonald's. You have to be able to read and write at a high level. You have to be competent. You have to be able to communicate. Exactly. It's just it's the it's the foundation of of being a productive citizen. Like it's literacy. You can't get around it. You know? So I don't understand how and when being a good reader, getting a good, you know, being a good speaker and being a good writer. I don't know when that became so taboo. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, and I don't know, you know, I I choose that term because it's, it's almost like we're the outsiders of education now. And I really don't get that because if you couldn't read, how are you going to pass these history tests? If you can't read, how are you going to pass your sciences? If you can't read, I mean, even with the electives, you still have to read and do some writing. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand why we're looked at as the ones that, you know, I shit, we don't, excuse my language. We're the Holy <laughs> Grail. You know, Facts. when you think about it, we are the Holy Grail. Facts. Everything has to come, you know, because of how we train them, you know. So I just I, I've never understood that to hear the kids say that and then to see other teachers within the building, even though English is a tested subject, to see them kind of look down their noses at the English department like, how dare you? If it weren't for us, your kids probably wouldn't be thriving. Like, you might want to put some respect on it. Exactly. Because, <laughs> you know, how those and, and, you know, I do I do work with the um, the Department of uh, Education and Questar, whoever else assessment vendor they're going to have coming in here. ETS. Man, I, um, I hope we don't have anymore. I, that's just so ridiculous to me. Every time we get something, it doesn't work. And then they tell the kids it's not going to count. And then it counts. And then yep. this this whole hoopla, this back and forth. First of all, and, and I'm just going off on a tangent right now. I know. <laughs> if you really want to make some effective testing, how about you pull teachers from the area i think the state test and all of that stuff i think it's whack because not everybody's teaching methods not every now Mm -hmm. the standards are the same across the board because it's common court state standards Mm -hmm. but the curriculums are not the same and they don't oftentimes match with those ccss so if we could develop our own personalized uh 
end of course assessments, I think by district, maybe that would be more effective. Right. But maybe, you know, it's probably entirely too much. And I really don't care because it's for the benefit of the children. It ain't for the benefit of your time, because if that's the case, you wouldn't be in education anyway, because right. it takes up a lot of your time. But I think that's just so foolish. You know, that's just like going to the doctor and you got all these patients there and they all come in with these different ailments, but you give them all the same damn medicine. Who does that? Yeah. Who I mean, you're that? you're absolutely you're absolutely right. And me being a part of that process for the past two years, the one thing I've always voiced my opinion on is one representation matters. Like I got to be a part oh, of yes. this process. Like I have to be a part of this process. I mean, one, you get put in a hotel and they feed you and they also pay you. So that's nice, too. But besides that, I 100 percent agree with everything that you're saying. And I'm just like, we need more. We need more people like I'm I'm not only like. I'm the only black guy there, usually, That's about 99.9% of the time. And I think it was maybe one time, it was during the summer, I seen another black guy. Guess what? We sat right next to each other, gave each I other bet. the head nod, a little dap. I was good. <laughs> I bet. Representation matters. But you're absolutely right. We do need, we should be able to develop it ourselves. And, you know, it is a lot. It would be costly. But these Everything that they do right now is very expensive. These contracts that they're yeah. giving to these uh, testing assessment vendors is worth millions. The the I know. them bringing in teachers like myself to help with the process very very expensive. Um, the other thing I'm doing right now I'm also on the textbook review committee. Um, so mm-hmm. you know for ELA across the state um, they're looking at. Um, getting new textbooks or new curriculum. So um, on this committee, our job is to kind of vex each textbook and each curriculum uh, according to this rubric and measurement system that they've given us to evaluate and see if it's any good. But what if we took that same energy and resources, like you were saying, Mm -hmm. we took that same money and we applied that to Hey, let's get teachers from here, 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 all over Tennessee, and we actually develop something um, that is actually aligned to standards that we can all agree on. That's aligned to standards and tailored to our kids, right? Tailored to our kids because I mean that's what it's all about. When you when you think about you know when they tell us to differentiate our instruction, all that means is that we're tailoring it to our kids. Mm -hmm. So now we go from tailoring instruction to our kids to now a general thing. Like that's not what you told us to do all year long for however many years you've been in the classroom. That's not, it's not fair. It's just, it's not fair to the kids. It's not fair to the teachers. And then you go and you, you stipulate those test scores, you know, and say, well, if your test scores are good, We'll keep you hired or if we'll keep you retained here. If your test scores are good, you know, we can boost your pay. I, I mean, I just I'm just trying to understand how the test scores are going to be good when this is not how we taught our kids all year long. Right. So, <laughs> you know, it, right. it, I don't know. It's just it's almost it's a lose for everybody, I think, because, you know, you're telling us to do one thing and then you're showing us another thing. And that inconsistency is just not. It's not conducive. It's just really not. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, Let's get to the meat of the conversation. So, listeners, how I actually discovered Candace is actually on Facebook. I'm minding my business like I'm all like I always am on Facebook. I might <laughs> I might post a status, drop a little knowledge, drop a little gems as I'm known to do, and then I move on my business like a couple of pictures. Then I'm off of Facebook. I don't spend much time on Facebook. I really don't. Um, but I got a lot of family in Facebook because I'm from Wisconsin, and so you know I got to check on grandma. But outside of that, so I'm scrolling through. I'm scrolling through and one of the things i do like about facebook is that it keeps me up to date with news for um and actually education because i'm subscribed to chalkbeat i love chalkbeat Mm -hmm. and actually i reached out to chalkbeat maybe maybe a year or so ago maybe two years ago and i was just asking like hey um i love what you're doing i'm a dope writer we should link and they sent me a message back. I don't remember what it said, but I think they wanted like a portfolio and I just never followed up because I got too busy. Anyways. Oh, yeah. And so I love Chalkbeat. And, you know, Chalkbeat, they're in Tennessee. They're in New York. Uh, I think they're in California. They're all over. They're all over the place. Yeah. And so 
I see this teacher. I see this this beautiful black queen, and she's got she's got her hand up, and and I'm like, okay, she's in class. She's teaching. She's got a red sweater on, and I'm like, what's going on? And it says, I'm gonna read it. When a week of snow days brought Candace Brown's 12th grade English class to a wintry halt last year, her students convinced her to take her lesson live on Facebook. This Memphis teacher went viral for holding class on Facebook Live during a snow day. And see, the reason why I connected with this before I even read the article was just simply... Um, I've joked about this with my kids. Like we get a snow day or, you know, um, when, when the school shootings were getting outrageous last school year and I'm Mm -hmm. like, yo, we might have to Skype this thing out and every, or, or FaceTime lessons out. And and like the kids were laughing and they were like, Mr. Wilson, that's actually a good idea. Maybe we should just all stay at home and you just call us on FaceTime. Like we all meet up, like the technology is there. Everyone pretty much has a phone or iPad or something. Like, why don't we do that? So that's how I discovered you. Um, and so like, how did that happen? How did Chalkbeat find you? Um, what, what actually happened that day? What was the actual lesson? Like for the listeners who haven't read that article, like, okay. So, (laughs) oh man, I, I was even shocked to see that that thing was recirculating. So I just thought it was funny because, you know, it's, it's been a year now and we haven't seen you know, a flake of snow, you know, since November. And that was only one day. But anyway, I digress. Um, So last January, when we um, we had just gotten back from um, from winter break and I was going into a lesson um, about a text called Guns, Germs and Steel. And we were making some, you know, some pretty good headway. You know, the kids were getting into it. It's, you know, pretty much the the author who's Jared Diamond. He's he's discussing how and why um, European colonization was able to take place and how indigenous people who, of course, had their own culture, civilization, things of that nature, how they were unfortunately wiped out and overtaken by these European people. And he was trying to understand why. And the kids were really into it. They're like, yeah, why is it that these folks came in and they took over and they acted like this, that, and the third. And so I'm like, okay, cool. We into it. So we get through the first about three weeks of lessons. And then there's this week of snow and the kids are are messaging me and I have um, remind. So they're able to get at me directly through um, through that app. So they, they're texting or they've um, sent me messages on Facebook and my my page is private. So I would have to accept, you know, their messages after reading them or whatever to, to you know, determine whether or not I'm going to actually respond. So they're like, you know, I'm trying to do this on my own. I don't know what to do. I'm getting lost. You know, I need some help. And I'd gotten about five messages like that of kids who were trying to press forward, but they were stuck. And um, one young lady in particular, she was like, Ms. Brown, you just need to go live. I'm sick of trying to figure this out. Just go live. And I'm like, okay, I've never done it before. <laughs> you know, um, I've posted videos, but I've never done a live stream. So get your class together, send a message out, see how many of them would be willing to do this because I'm not going to go live for two people. Okay. Um, but if a significant amount of y'all, want me to do that, I'll do it. Y'all pick the time in the morning. I'll get together some notes, you know, tell me what y'all are struggling with, you know, collectively, and I'll make some notes and I'll put a PowerPoint and we'll just go from there. About 30 minutes later, she was like, yeah, it's about 30 of us. So Mm. let's, let's go ahead and do that. I'm (laughs) like, okay, cool. So the challenge has been set, (laughs) you know, as, as, (laughs) as, um, Oh my goodness, I'm I'm drawing a blank, but you know the game is afoot is is what I'm thinking of right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm doing my notes and I'm getting everything together and they decide on a time. So I get up the next morning. I'm trying to make sure I'm up early enough so that I don't look like a sleepy groggy, you know, old woman. And and I'm semi presentable, but I still got on my jammies because I'm not getting dressed for this. For what? Who does that? <laughs> but um, I logged on and. I started getting the word out to the ones that I had accepted and um, they started 
kind of sharing it with everybody. So by the by the time I got started with the actual lesson and with the actual review and reading their questions, because at that point I didn't know how to add in a person, because like I said, that was the first time I'd ever gone live. Um, I'd had about 50 kids on there. And I'm thinking to myself, yo, what are they doing? Like, are they really this interested? Are they really this invested? Like, and the questions they were asking were so good. (laughs) I just, I, I was really taken aback because I did not expect them on their day off to to actually log in and to be taking notes and to be asking questions and to, you know, make me, um, make me do that for them. And I say make me, even though I didn't feel pressured at all, because I would have done it if, if only one person had asked. But the fact that so many of them logged on like that stuff kind of humbled me. And I'm like, these, these kids are hungry. Like, to the people who say these kids can't and these kids this and these kids that, man, you just don't understand how hungry they are to better themselves. And I would have been doing them a disservice if I had not done that. Right. I, I didn't expect the exposure that I got from it. Now, I will say that um, even though prior to that, I, I got a, a little bit of exposure Um, from some other stuff I had done in the classroom, but I didn't think that this right here would take off the way that it did. Um, Because not only did local news media say something, it was like somebody sent me a link. It was featured on CNN headline news. I'm like, y'all are crazy. Y'all hear this little country accent. Ain't nobody at CNN trying to check for me. Like y'all are (laughs) really crazy right now. You really tripping. But the response was so phenomenal. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, like, why not? Why wouldn't it be? We're encouraged, you know, to incorporate technology into our classroom. Why would I not have done this? You know, we're moving toward a technological society. We're already there. Why was this such a shock? You right. know, because but it was fun. I, I'm gonna tell you, it's 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 the fact that on a snow day, which you are paid for, and an off day, how many teachers are willing to go above and beyond and do that? Not too many. <laughs> And and that's what I was reading in the comments because, you know, I read all of them because I'm just that type of person. I wanted to see what people had to say, yeah. you know, under these things. And, you know, they were like, she's better than me because I wouldn't have done that. I would have <laughs> rolled over and went right back to sleep. And But for me, yeah. my conscience would have gotten at me. Right. You know, I would have beat myself up had I not done it, you know, for them. And, you know. I just say shout out to the kids for that because they're the ones who came up with that idea. They're the ones that planted that seed in me, you know, as Mm -hmm. much as we think that we're trying to make them better. Hell, they make us better. And that was one Mm -hmm. of those days where I was made better. And I, I am forever thankful and grateful for that because I would have never done that. That's so never. So did, so did uh, chalk beat, did they actually reach out to you or? Yes. Okay. So um, Caroline Bauman, actually, um, I think she she commented on it and was like, oh, my goodness, I, I have to reach out to her. And then there was a tweet and I don't do Twitter. Um, there's a tweet that was, I guess, going around the district and it got back to me that said we need to feature her for, you know, some portion some segment that they do for chalkbeat i can't even remember what it's called now even though i'm a subscriber i read it almost every day mm-hmm. um but i couldn't remember what the section is called um but i was like these folks really trying to talk to me oh, okay <laughs> I, I don't know what i did but I, okay so she um we we corresponded through email a couple times she actually came up to the school um, we were still working on guns, germs, and steel um, when she did come, um, because it's a it's a full nine week lesson because it's a research based lesson. So we had to take the entire quarter for that. And the stuff that she captured was actually one of the days where we were um, watching the documentary mm-hmm. of guns, germs, and steel. So then the kids were actually hearing these materials from the voice 
of the author, which is powerful in and of itself. So they're seeing him on his journey and they're asking questions and they're taking notes and they're responding. And I'm like, okay. And that class was really small that day. I probably had maybe 15 kids in that class that day, but, um, they were behaving themselves as if we had a full class of 30. So I just went with it. I'm not going to, you know, stop just mm-hmm. because there no, there's nobody there. You know, if you missed it, I'm sorry, kid, you missed it. But yeah. <laughs> you better get with somebody. But, um, but yeah, so that's what she kind of captured. And I was, you know, I was, I don't know. I guess I'm still shocked that that that, that, that it made as much noise as it did. Because I was never intending on, um, I guess, my, my privacy being invaded or anything. Because my classroom is like my sacred place. My classroom is is home right. because I'm there so much. But to have her come in and she was very respectful and she was very quiet. And, you know, she, you know, she asked some questions. And it was just, it was like a regular class day. Only she was there taking pictures. Hey, I'm go for it. <laughs> by all means go for it so it was it was a fun day though it really was that's so dope congrats to you and the kids super dope Thank so you. um so you've been busy so my life as an educator tell us about the book yeah. so so originally when i started writing because i actually started writing it in 2015 um i i wanted to do kind of a a devotional. Now I'm not overly spiritual. I'm not overly religious, but there were some things and, and I read, I read everything. So, mm-hmm. and I always tell, I tell my kids, especially, you know, when we get into um, British literature, because you got to know the Bible, you have to know those biblical illusions. I'm like, even if you don't believe the Bible, it's a beautiful piece of literature. Take it as such, you know, because that's that's what it is. It has some some morality tales, some life lessons. Just take it for that, even if you don't believe that it's, you know, religious doctrine, yeah. whatever. Um, so going, you know, going back to my religious studies class at CBU, because we have to take them. You know, there are a lot of things that I learned in those classes that I was applying to life, you know. And then 2015 comes and I just get the urge to write. And I'm like, you know what? I think I want to write a devotional, but I think I want to be for, I think I want it to be for teachers because we struggle. Like Mm. sometimes after those, you know, after winter break, after spring break, it's a struggle because that's a long stretch and we're going to need some encouragement. So I was, um, I was doing devotional reading anyway. Um, and there were always some scriptures that stuck out to me. So I just started pulling those scriptures and then applying classroom situations to the scriptures and applying the scriptures to classroom uh, situations and all of that stuff to make it fit. So I had gotten about 30 scriptures done, about 30 pages in, and I stopped. I just stopped. I was like, I, I can't do this because I was sharing it with people that were close to me. And they weren't responding. And I was like, okay, so maybe this is crap. So I just left it alone. Fast forward to 2018. And then I showed it to a friend. And he's like, you know what? You need to finish this. I don't know why you stopped it, but you need to finish it. Okay. Okay. Let me cry. Let me pray. Let me meditate. Because I'm about to finish this thing now. Because now I got a little bit of encouragement. Because what people don't understand is even though we are the constant encouragers, we need encouragement, too. You know, we tend to we can shut down just like the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, Very true. But anyway, so um, I thought about it for a little while. And the thoughts that kept coming to my mind were, OK, I don't want this to be a devotional anymore. I want to help people. I want to help educators. But I don't want it to be a full on devotional because I cuss too much and I'm going to look like a hypocrite and I don't <laughs> feel like doing all that. So what's the best way that you can help someone? Well, I can share my experience. So um, I started writing about things that are, that had happened to me over the course of my 10 years in the classroom, because 2017, 2018, that's my decade in the classroom. So I um, I just start 
journaling year one and then I start journaling year two and then I start journaling so on and so forth up until I get to that present moment of year 10 um and I just started journaling and I was like okay this is kind of therapeutic now how am I going to tie this in so that I can start to help people because the thing the thing that kept playing in my mind the entire time was the turnover rate we need to retain good teachers. What can I say to yep. them to make them want to stay in the classroom? Because these people are leaving. Fast. You know. <laughs> Fast. And it was and 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 it wasn't, you know, something that I thought about that was taking place throughout the district. I was looking at my own school. Yeah. We had teachers 2017-2018 school year that didn't come back after fall break. We had teachers that didn't come back after winter break. We mm. had teachers that we're leaving in January. We had vacant slots open until April. Until April, these kids were sitting in classrooms with substitutes not learning. And I was getting pissed. Like, I just, that's the that's the nicest way I can say it. Because that's a disservice to these kids, Thanks. you know? Mm-hmm. So, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to tell my story. But I'm also going to tell people what I learned that year that made me go back the next year. So each year I give a major memory. And then at the end of that, I say what I learned. And that's kind of how I shaped it, because I want people to know that there are things that you just going to have to learn by trial and error. And that's OK. It's all a learning process. To be, to be a teacher, you have to be a perpetual student. You just got to know that. Yep. Um but don't think that the lessons that you learned are going to come from a textbook that you read while you were sitting in somebody's classroom. It don't always work like that. This stuff you got to learn from experience. And if you can learn something from my experience, please take that. Keep it in your pocket so that you can move on into the next year. Because what we what we do need is you. We need teachers. We need them to be vested. We need them to want these kids best interest, you know, and and what I've seen over the last couple of years is not that, you know, so that's kind of how that came about. Um, I just wanted to be of service truly. And the best way that I knew how to be of service was to try to reach teachers or those who were thinking about becoming teachers, you know, if you if you have that potential, know that you're going to have some rough times. It's not always going to be peaches and cream, you know, but you got to know how to navigate your way through those rough waters. And that's kind of where the book came from. So where can we where can we find the book? Where can we support and buy? It is right now on Amazon. Um, so if you, you know, go to Amazon and you do a search of my life as an educator, it is going to pop up. So it's um, a paperback. And it's available on Kindle. Um, I've been looking into getting it into Barnes and Noble because, you know, even though I'm an accidental author, like that's kind of like the dream to be in Barnes. Um, it is. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. And then I'm, I'm looking at uh, trying to get it into Walmart as well. Because, you know, everybody goes to Walmart. So why not have you know, have access to it? Right. Um, but the thing that I've seen thus far is that it would be um, digital copies as opposed to physical. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really working on getting physical copies on the shelves right now, especially since it's just been re-released. Because in, um, it was initially released in December of 2018, but I got out of contract with the publisher and the book was actually taken down. Mm. So um, okay. what you see on Amazon right now is, I guess, the second edition, <laughs> the second you. edition of the book with the new cover and you know new everything, and it's self-published um, by myself. So and right. that was something too. I never thought I'd do that. Right. You know, I thought I would have to go through a publishing company, and I was like, You don't have to. No. There's this self. No. Yeah. No, I've I'm, got a I've got was, a publishing company, and everything is self-published. Yeah. See, yep. that's so amazing. Like I it was a it was an entire learning process for me. Like, okay, I I can do this. I don't have to be scared. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do so it. I just did. Yeah. So so yeah, definitely listeners, please please check out My Life as an Educator by Candace. That's C A N D O U S 
Brown. And uh, I'm actually going to leave a link in the show notes so everyone can find that. And also I'm going to leave a link for the uh, Chalkbeat article about you and that snow day uh, that went viral. I'm going to leave a link in there too um, so they can they can read up on this story and they can check out your book and support. Yeah, thank you. Because I, I mean, I've, I'm just I'm excited just to have it back out and other educators that I know that have read it. Um, the first thing that they've said is, you know, I can relate to that. And that was the whole thing. I just wanted to be relatable to let people know, you know, you're not alone in this and, and don't ever think that you are because we all go through it, you know. It's it's always about some highs and lows. And right now, you know, let's think about some things that that are on a high note, because there's so much so much room for growth and so much positivity that's available. Let's just focus on that, you know, because that's that's the way that we're going to make it through these long days, <laughs> these long days. You know, because if you like me, I'm I go to I'm at work from seven till three, sometimes four, because we're three fifteen school. So it's some long days ahead. Right. right. So I just wanted to be encouraging. That's all. So um, last piece of advice, last question for you. What would you leave as a piece of advice for black and brown educators out there that, like you said, might be going through some tough times as they return back from from spring break and they're looking at testing and then the rest of the year? Take some time to breathe. You know, it's it's okay, you know, it's okay to feel overwhelmed, accept that and then try to figure out how you can manage it better, um, because we all go through that. Um, and then, too, because you look like your students, you, you're black and brown like your students, treat them like they're your kids. If you treat them like they're your own, their response can be so much better and you will have such a smoother transition into this home stretch as we like to call it you know of the school year you know granted I think that that should have been taking place anyway you know I always treat my kids like mine um and it makes things so much better for me but I'm a firm advocate and I'm a firm believer in you know it's a village and if I treat them the way I treat my own child, I I, I won't do them wrong. Right. So that's my advice. So, yeah, just treat them as if they're your own. These are your children now and they will forever be your children. Um, and just roll with that. I love that. Yeah. And I mean, technically, if you look at. Um, you know, the the origin of education, um, you know, locos parentes, you know, we are substitutes in a place of the biological parents when they're under our care, then we do just that we care, we love sometimes that love is tough. Um, exactly. we're, we're much more than just subject matter experts. We're not just up there spewing facts for kids to take notes on like, it's much deeper than that, especially nowadays in an ELA classroom. So Exactly. Exactly. Super dope. What can I say? Mamba out. Thank you for listening to the Black Scholars Podcast. For more information, Sometimes go to blackscholarspublishing.com. You just gotta. Go! You will never know what you could ever be. If you never try, you will never see. Stayed in Africa, we ain't never leave. So the ones don't sleep. Oh,